Hi. Hey, Doug. How are you? Tremendous. I'm glad that Ben is here this morning. You know, when, when we first came uh, to Orchard years and years ago, Patterson had one of these rows right here, right? Yeah. You guys just hung out here. And I've just, I've just had the privilege of um, watching Ben grow up in so many different ways and uh, kind of find his, find his ministry in, 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 uh, over these years at Orchard. Really, even beyond beyond that, I mean, before that, mm-hmm. through your experiences with VBS and all of that, and uh, and one of the things I've appreciated too is Ben finding his voice. Um, Ben's got a great teaching voice, and uh, we want to continue to uh, provide opportunities for Ben to do that, just like he did this past summer. I don't know if you guys were in here much for the um, family services, but you had an opportunity to do a lot of teaching in there too. So thanks for for teaching this morning. Appreciate it. All right, you're welcome. Good morning. Uh, when one of my boys saw that I'd be teaching this week, he said, Dad, how long are you going to talk for on Sunday? I'm like, okay. I said, well, they tell me about 25 minutes. He goes, you can go like 19 or 20. <laughs> so for the next 19 or 20, maybe up to 25 minutes, we're going to be in week three of our teaching series titled C serve, speak. It's been a teaching series really geared towards the follower of Christ. Like if you are a Christian, you're required to share your faith when you're asked for the hope that you have in Jesus. And it's not extra credit. It's not optional. It's not bonus material. It's required of you. And so it should deserve some intentionality and some thought of how you would speak to the faith that you have. But before we get too far into it, we do need to acknowledge that there are some people here today who may not follow Jesus, who aren't Christians. And first of all, that is totally okay. Uh, glad that you're here for whatever reason it is. Maybe it's to please a parent or someone told you they'd buy a lunch afterwards, whatever the reason is. Thanks for being here. And then secondly, just know that uh, you don't have to feel guilty about any of this. You could pick and choose what you want to use, if anything at all. So if you follow Christ, this is crucial stuff. Uh, we've got to pay attention to it. And if you don't, you just get to listen in. Well, some of you over the last minute have already gotten kind of the sweaty palms because you're like, oh no, this talking about Jesus thing makes me nervous. I never know what to say. Um, I'm, I'm hoping my kid's number pops up on the screen so I can leave and go get them, you know, right? And, and some people have told me, you know, actions speak louder than words, Ben, so I'm going to let my actions do the talking about faith. And, and I agree, if I had to choose between actions and words, I'd choose actions every single time. But it's not a choice that we're forced to make. It's, it's not a, a, a one or the other. It's, it's a both and. That both your actions and your words will speak to the faith that you have about Jesus in either a positive way, a negative way, or a neutral way. And so it's important that we put some thought into the words that we say about Jesus. Now you might be saying, well, yeah, easy for you to say, Mr. Ben with the microphone, found your voice guy, works for the church, gets paid to pray, right? And yeah, okay, you have a point, but I've had this struggle in my own life as well of like, how do I talk about the faith that I have in Jesus Christ? How do I do it? You know, I'm big into sports and everything in sports seems to be a debate. And all of a sudden I take that same debate type of mindset to faith where it's like as if someone once said, you know, I'm a Christian because I lost a debate. 
No, it doesn't happen that way. And that's the tendency that I tend to make it. And so we've got to set the framework because sometimes it feels like it can be a debate too that when you share about Christ, it's always easier to make a point than it is to make a difference. You're going to have the temptation to make a point about your faith, to prove them wrong, to show how much you know. Making a point gathers a crowd. Making a point can bring in an applause. But making a point, man, we've already been made a bunch of points and we just forget them making a point isn't making a difference but the thing about making a difference is it's hard work it takes a lot of time it's not formulaic it's not do this every time and you'll get it there's no recipe for it uh, sometimes it takes five minutes sometimes it takes five years who knows how long it would take to make a difference but we want to make a difference, right? We want, we want to make a difference. Yet there's these things that go on in the back of our head of like, oh, well, I don't know. I, I don't know about that. Uh, what if, oh, no, they're, they're not going to do that. No, they already know. They probably already know about Jesus. Like maybe you're that junior high or high school student who has a classmate that's not in your circle of friends, but you have the same teacher for the same class two or three times a day, so your schedules overlap, and you're like, oh, do I tell them about this Wednesday night church event or not? Would it be a good opportunity? Ah, no, they, prob- they probably already know about Jesus. They're good to go. Or, or you don't want to sound weird. Like that time I was at the restaurant, and the server comes up and says, hey, guys, thanks for being here tonight. Can I get you started something to drink? We've got a happy hour special on our domestic bottles. And she's almost interrupted by a guy at the table saying, we drink from a different fountain. That's weird. John Acuff, the Christian author, calls that a Jesus juke. It's just like, hey, we're having a regular conversation and someone just does a juke and brings Jesus into it. And it's like, okay, what do I do now? And that doesn't leave people with a good sense of who Jesus is. Or how about this? How about this? As adults, it's like, ah, if I told them about Jesus, they'd think I'm judging them. And I've got to work with this person, or I've got to live with this person, or I've got to go to school with this person, and I don't want them to think that I'm judging them like I'm only telling them about Jesus because I think they're doing something wrong in their life. No, no, I'm just going to, not going to go there. I've had these struggles too. But it should not keep us from speaking about the hope that we have in the gospel. And the good news is we can learn from the greatest missionary, the greatest evangelist who lived his life traveling, telling people about Jesus. Just like if you wanted to achieve great sales numbers, you would go to a seminar by someone who has achieved the work that you one day hope to achieve and learn. Just like if you wanted to learn a skill, music or sport, you would want to learn from someone who done it at the highest level we can learn from a man who spoke about jesus at the greatest level and lived his life in that way his name is the apostle paul and if you don't if you if you want to disagree about that about the apostle paul being the greatest evangelist that's okay but at least we can agree that he would be in the team picture right Okay, so he's pretty good. So let's grab a Bible and open up to Acts chapter 17, verse 16. The page number's on the screen for the Bibles in the pew. Um, If you're kind of like, ah, do I really want to do this? We're going to be in Acts 17 the whole time. We're not going to be flying around. So once you open up to Acts 17, we'll just be anchored down. Use your own Bible or a phone Bible application. That's totally cool as well. And the words will be on the screen. But don't underestimate the power 
of the privilege we have to hold God's word in our hands. Christians for thousands of years didn't have this opportunity that we have to hold God's word in our hands and read it alongside a neighbor. Before we start reading, and and while you're still getting there, I want to give you a little bit of context for where we're jumping in at verse 16. You see, Paul took many missionary journeys, three of them to be exact, and then a fourth big trip to Rome, and this is a map of his second missionary journey. Now, don't worry, I only have 19 or 20, maybe 25 minutes, so we're not going to go through the whole thing. But we are going to focus on this time in Athens. And before he got to Athens, he was in Thessalonica, and he was sharing with the people there, the the Thessalonians, about Jesus. And some of them were like, yes, and ready to start a church. And others did not like Paul or Silas or Timothy, the men traveling with him. And they wanted to hurt him. They wanted to hurt him bad. And so one night, the people were looking out for Paul and Silas and Timothy. One night, it's after bedtime. Everyone's gone to bed. It's dark. And they sneak Paul, Silas, and Timothy out of the town. They sneak him to the nearby town, Berea. And of course, Paul can't shut his mouth about Jesus in Berea either. And those Thessalonians that wanted to hurt him something bad know that he's in the nearby town and they're on their way over to stir up some trouble. But this time, Paul leaves the group, goes over to the coast by himself and sails down to Athens. And that is right where we are going to pick up the story at verse 16. So please follow along with me. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. Now you've got to understand this about Athens. If you had an idea about a god, any god, it could be the god of peanut butter and jelly, you would go to Athens and you would tell them about this great god and they'd build an altar for him. There were thousands of altars around the city. There was even an altar to an, that was blank and it said to an unknown god. That way, if someone showed up on the scene and they're like, I'm the god of ham sandwiches, they're like, oh, we, we thought you existed, but we just couldn't place you, but we've got this, we've got this altar. We'll get it all fixed up, ship shape here. Just don't wait, don't worry. That's how they thought. Now understand how Paul thought. He was raised on the Jewish scriptures. And so as a Jewish boy, one of the first things he would have learned, right along with his ABCs and one, two, threes, it was, you have no God before me. No idols. And Jewish men would even hesitate to write the word God for fear that it would create an idol, a false image. And so what do you think would be a good message to preach to these people with all these altars? You can say it. Tear them down. Tear them down. And that would have been a correct message. He would have been right. But Paul knew that he wasn't in Athens to prove a point. He was there to make a difference. And so what did he do? Well, let's continue. Verse 17. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace, day by day, with those who happened to be there. Now understand this about the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks. They weren't um, aware of Jesus or the resurrection, but they were a step above the idolatry. And so Paul joined them with what they were doing good. And he was talking in the marketplace. In the marketplace, you're kind of in mixed company and, and someone might speak up against you. And that's what happened as we continue. Verse 18. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Now, it's easy to think, oh, Epicurean and Stoic philosophies, they don't exist today. Well, actually, they do. You see, the Epicureans believe Whatever it is that makes you happy, you go for it. Just 
Go be happy. However you feel happy, do it. It's good. And the Stoics, on the other hand, they believe uh, that thinking was uh, higher up the chain than uh, the feeling. And so it was all about what you knew, what information you could gather in living a disciplined lifestyle. And so these are the people who are going to question Paul about what he is saying. We continue on in verse 18. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, well, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, May we know what this new teaching is that you're presenting? You're bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we would like to know what they mean. All the Athenians and foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. They were like the hipsters of the day. Remember, you have this idea, you come, we have this Areopagus thing, which was really like a special meeting of all these educated religious people that would take place kind of probably in the valley, and the Athenians would gather hillside to hear these great people do all their philosophy talking about gods. And before we read another word, we have got to know that and, and acknowledge that Paul was not beating down the door of the secretary of the Areopagus to get his appointment to share what he knew. No, Paul was invited. He was invited to the meeting to speak. What did he say? Let's continue. Verse 22. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and he said, People of Athens, I see in every way that you are very religious. (laughs) This is great. What's Paul do? He establishes common ground. He's like, hey, you're religious. I can see that. I'm religious too. And everyone's heads are going like, "Uh uh-huh. We're religious together. This guy's on our side. But Paul doesn't withhold the truth of his message. He, He continues, For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship. And this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man, all the nations From one man he made all the nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. He knew these people didn't know about the Old Testament, so he didn't use the Old Testament as an example. He used their own poets as an example. To say, hey, we agree about this. We're all the offspring. Now Paul comes at him hard again, verse 29. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. Man, if we're God's offspring and I'm not gold, silver, or stone, then why would we expect God to be Gold, silver, or stone, something that we made. Verse 30, in the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. 
For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. He's talking about Jesus and the resurrection. And even though Paul finds himself amongst educated people, people who talk about God's day after day after day, Paul does not just think that they know about the one true God, the God he knows. And in a country like America, where we have God and God we trust on our money, and we pause our baseball games to sing God Bless America, we should not think that everyone knows that we're talking about the one true God. And to withhold that information is cruel. And it's wrong. And so Paul gives them the truth. Well, what was the reaction? What was the post-game press conference like? What did people say? Verse 32. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered. Yeah, I bet. But others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council. Some of the people became followers of Paul and believed. Among them, get this, among them was Dionysius, a member of the Areopagus, and also a woman named Amaris, and a number of others. You see, Paul didn't concern himself with how many people believed or what the reaction would be to his message. He just shared the message out of obedience And that's what we must do too. You're called to obedience, not the outcomes. You are called when asked about the faith that you have to speak to it. And that's obeying God. That's living out what God has asked of you. You're not, don't put your self-esteem into whether or not they believe right there on the spot. Don't put your value into whether you were laughed at or not. No, you just share the, the truth that you know, the hope of Jesus Christ and how it's affected your life. And then the the outcome's up. To God. Everyone's unique. Everyone responds differently. For someone, yeah. They hear the gospel message and their life changes right then and there. Others, I know people, I'm sure you do too, have people in your life who you've been walking with for years and decades. Trying to share when you're asked to share. Serving when when you can serve. And and being with them just to be with them. And yet, they haven't really seemed to receive the gospel message. And that's hard and that's tough, but, but that's up to the Lord to do that work. And when it comes to, to sharing, we've got to remember that tension that it's going to be easier to make a point instead of making a difference. And so how do we go about making a difference? Well, I think that Paul gives us a little bit of a roadmap from his time in Athens. This isn't the recipe. It's not do this every single time and you will come out with success or anything. But I do think that these are there's three important elements that Paul used that we can learn from and use as well. You see, first Paul used examples. He used that example of the blank altar, something that they already knew about and had a context for. He's like, you've got this that says to an unknown God. I know about that God. I can tell you about him. He used the example of their own poets. Remember, he did not introduce that Old Testament for which he had memorized and lived his life by, but he used their own poets to help establish common ground. You're smart. You can know what types of examples or look around or see what what someone knows already. That could be a gateway to share about your faith when you're asked. 
And then secondly, Paul established common ground. I don't know why, I mean, it's hard for me even. I don't know why it's so hard when they're talking about Jesus to establish common ground. Like my default mindset is like, I'm over here, I know Jesus, they're over here, they're not living the right way, i got to bring them over to my side. But no, look for how you can establish common ground. I think you're more alike than you would even realize. And establish that common ground. Let people know, hey, I'm like you. We're, we're on the same team here. We're living on the same earth here. And you can establish that common ground with people so it's not like they feel a huge threat by what you're presenting. And then the third part of pointing to Jesus. Do not leave this out. Although it's that time that's like, oh, do I say anything about Jesus or not? You got that kicking around in the back of your head? You know, there was a man who lived and he said he was going to die and he said he was going to overcome death and, and he pulled it off. Sounds like a man I'd like to learn from and I have learned from him I'm going to live my life by him. And when I've lived my life following Jesus, there hasn't been anything more exciting. And you can point to Jesus in that way and share your own story of it. Like sit down, sit down maybe 10 or 15 minutes and, and write out just a paragraph of, of how you have experienced Jesus in your life. For some of you, you're like, just a paragraph? Yeah, Try it. Just, just a paragraph. And for others of you, you're like, a paragraph? How am I going to do that? Well, you can. that's what that quiet time is and just sit down and grind it out. Like for me... I grew up sitting in the second row every Sunday. I felt bad when my family missed church as if that was my salvation. I prayed the prayer to accept Jesus into my heart. I lived for Jesus. And then I moved out and went to college. Six hours away and thought, oh, joining a church, that's fine. I've got Jesus in my heart. I'll be good. Oh, the friends that I have, oh, they'll be all right. We can figure it out. I can, I can stay strong. I'll keep my light burning. Oh, a little bit of this, oh, a little bit of that. And I realized through that year that I was a failure at living my life when I was at the wheel, and I couldn't take the wheel anymore, and I needed to get back in a community of believers and following Jesus. And my life has never been the same, and every day is fresh and new. Do you want to hear about this Jesus too? And that's just a short little paragraph. Personal story, and you can do the same. Paul used examples. He established that common ground and he did not withhold the truth by pointing to Jesus. And when you can get your story set and when you know what to say, then when you're asked, hey, why do you, why do you follow Jesus? Why do you go to that church? Then you will not have to worry about not knowing what to say. Let me say a prayer for you. Heavenly Father, there are many people, uh, there are people in my life, there's people in the lives of the, the congregation here today, Lord, who, who we just wish would know, uh, know you, know the power of the resurrection. And we pray for those, Lord, we pray for a congregation that, uh, that we may be a people who, 
who don't hesitate to speak about the hope that we have in you. Give us the words, the unique words, and bring out the beautiful stories that, that you've written. In those times where we're just at the end of the rope and realize that, like, hey, no, I can't drive this anymore. Jesus, you take the wheel. Let us not hesitate to share that truth with others, but let it point to you. Pray in Christ's name. Amen.